All right, so let's jump in. Luke 10, we'll read verses 1 through 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter into a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So the big picture of what's happening here is it's, it's a continuation of what Matt touched on in Luke 8 and James in Luke 9. Um, the key verse is heal the sick and say to them the kingdom of God has come to you, come near to you. It's in verse 9. It's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. It's just a continuation of what we saw in, in chapter 8 and chapter 9. It's um, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. And so I don't know why he chose 72. I don't know if the first 12 flunked. I have no idea how, what his criteria was. It doesn't say, so I'm not going to guess and speculate. But I know that's a lot more guys, a lot more guys. So a lot more cities are going to be covered. So one thing I just wanted to touch on on this little section was um, that thought of having the two-by-two thought. You just see it throughout the Bible, two-by-two. Do you have, do I have, do we have a ministry partner, for lack of a better term? Do do you have a ministry partner that you kind of share ministry stuff with? It could be a spouse. It could be a, a coworker. It could be a friend. You know, Paul had Barnabas. Moses had Joshua. Esther had her uncle Mordecai. Just throughout the Bible, there's ministry partners. And Jesus, what, he sends them out two by two. He did that with the 12, now the 72. Two by two, two by two, two by two. So I guess my question is, who's your, who's your, who's your two? <laughs> Do you have one? I think it's so valuable. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, 4, 9, and 10. Two are what? Better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. It's a great idea to have a ministry partner. I hope you'll think about that, toy with that. I'm thinking about it um, myself. Second thing to note is this. Did Jesus really need their help? (laughs) Does Jesus really need our help to get what he needs to get done? Did he really need, he had the 12 go out, two by two, nine, 72. Did he really need their help? Or more importantly to us, does he really need our help today? 
I don't, I don't know that he needs our help. I mean, I don't think God needs our help. But I, I say this, I think he enjoys our help. I really do. I think he enjoys our help. When, when my son Kelly, I have two, two daughters and a son, when he was probably five or six, I've mentioned this before, uh, I remember a time I was in my backyard shoveling something. Don't know what it was, but Kelly wanted to help me, and he's a little guy. There was not much value for having Kelly help me shovel, or even worse, haul the very heavy wheelbarrow to where it had to go. Because the only place that fit that he felt like he was really contributing was between my legs of the wheelbarrow. And we'd always put, I always put too much in there. You always put too much in a wheelbarrow, you know. And so now I'm kind of back. I I'm kind of back. And he's, he's, got, he's holding it. I'm holding it. He didn't help me a whit. In fact, he probably made the job harder, honestly. And I'm not sure that these 72 made it easier or harder for Jesus. But I'll tell you what. I think he enjoys them. I think he enjoys us. And I think that's really important. I know you can get overboard on that idea, but I just think he, he's a friend, He's, Jesus is a lot of things, but one of those things, I think he wants to be our friend, and friends enjoy each other. I know we know God loves us. I think we'd all say God loves us. I think we'd say, yeah, God loves us, but do you, would you say God likes you? Well, I know God loves me because of Jesus, and that's true, but does God like me? I mean, would God choose to spend time with me I think he would. I think he would choose to spend time. He likes you. He's everything God is, but he likes us. And I think that's kind of fun to think about. And I hope you'll kind of hang on to that too. It's good for me. John 15, 15, Jesus says this, no longer do I call you servants, <clears throat> for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you what? Who knows that? I've called you friends. I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. And I think God wants to remember that, us to remember that tonight. I think he wants me to anyway. Maybe you too. So, one more thing on this little section. What did the disciples really need to take with them to accomplish their task? I mean, it's pretty clear. They, they couldn't bring anything. And imagine, you know, a bunch of adult men. I, 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 I just, <laughs> I don't know. It's just counterintuitive, you know. I want you to go to these cities. Don't take anything. Don't take food. Don't take money. Don't take all the stuff that men are kind of responsible for, families and stuff like that. Don't do any of that stuff. Just take a willingness to speak out to someone. That's all, that's all, they, that's all they had to take. All they needed really was a willingness to speak and an openness for a listener. That's, that's all that was really necessary for them to do what they needed to do. And when I thought about that, I think, well, do I need any more than that? Do you need any more of that? Do we need any more than that to share the gospel? Well, I'm certainly not opposed to studying God's word and, and absorbing theology and memorizing verses. And there's a study to show yourself approved unto God. The Bible says all those things are good, but but do you, do you have to have that? Because if you have to have that to, to share your heart with someone, you'll never have enough. You'll always need just a little bit more. If I could just memorize one more verse, then I'd share my heart with that person. If I just, if I just this, if I wasn't doing that, or if whatever your criteria might be, 
they, they didn't have anything, anything holding them back. They didn't have anything to offer. They didn't have any money. They couldn't buy an audience. They just had a willingness to speak and people would or wouldn't listen. You all have a story. You all have a story. I hope you can tell people your story and just weave it into the gospel because the good news is you have a story. (laughs) The first missionary, I think Matt was sharing about this in Luke, whatever, maybe eight, I can't remember, but the first real missionary was a demoniac. Remember that? Okay. He goes, I want to... I want to hang out with you now. I want to go with you guys. Jesus, now go tell everybody. Tell everybody you know. Tell them your story. We all have a story. I hope you know that. I want you to be able to ideally be able to share that story in two or three, four minutes. Share your story. Share the gospel, how it's affected your life. That's what you need. That's what you need for sure. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Woe to you, Chorazin, Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have, been, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, you will be exalted to heaven. You shall be cut down to Hades. And then this verse is so important. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Interesting. So they show up at some of these cities and they're rejected. And so they come with this incredible message. They come with power. They're healing. They're casting out demons. And they're rejected. So I think, well, when God says, I'm going to judge that, I go, well, bring that kind of makes sense to me. That seems fair to me in some way. But it's also scary to me. It's really scary because look what happens to these places. They get blown up. Worse than than, than Tyre and uh, Sidon, worse than Sodom, or Sidon, I'm sorry, Tyre and Sidon. This This is big time judgment. They get blown up. And that verse haunts me, verse 16. The one who hears you Here's me. The one who rejects you rejects me. We, the Bible says we're ambassadors for Christ. That's what the Bible says. And Luke says if they hear you, they hear me. If they won't hear you, they won't hear So it should be sobering to us. And it should, it should encourage us as believers, hopefully willing to share our faith in the way we talk and the way we live and think. That, that we're, we're really representing God. I mean, he's actually letting us say, okay. He doesn't say, okay, if you do some things to qualify as an ambassador, like we would do maybe in, in our country, he doesn't do that. If you're born again, guess what? You're an ambassador. You represent me. And if they reject you, they reject me. And if they reject me, they reject God. I don't know all that that means, but that doesn't sound good at all. That sounds really scary. Do we ever think about that in the way we live our lives? Because people are going to watch you all the time. They're going to watch me all the time. They're going to listen to me. 
when I'm not paying attention, they're going to watch me when I'm not watching them, and they're going to listen and watch you too. You are an ambassador 24-7, 365, and people are watching. And you've heard it, and I've heard it. The reason a lot of people say, well, I don't believe is because they say, well, I don't believe, I don't want to believe Jesus because Christians are what? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. That's not a fair judgment. But it's a judgment that gets thrown around a lot. And so, super important. When they were rejected, their message was rejected, Jesus rejected them. And that's a, that's a scary thing. There's a guy named Fred Craddock in a commentary that I was looking at. He says this, it's a quote, it's almost frightening to be favored by God. It's almost frightening to be favored by God. And you and I are highly favored by God if you're born again tonight. And if you're not born again, you're still highly favored by God. Get saved. But it should create in us a soberness. Not not enough to rob our joy, but we have this responsibility to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Let's keep going. 17. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Big picture. The big picture of this little passage right here is that we should rejoice more in the fact that we're going to heaven than even an ability we'd have, or they had at least, to perform miracles on earth. We're going to heaven. John Corson, Applegate Christian Fellowship, where I kind of cut my teeth spiritually from about 1988 to 2005 when Edgewater started, he would often say, hey, he'd say, say, listen, gang. John Corson, listen, gang. It's all about heaven. It's all about heaven, he say. And I would think, what does that even mean? What is it? Jesus seemed to say, hey, here's the big thing here. It's not what you've done with demons. It's not how Satan's responded, but your name's written in the book of life and you're going to heaven. What's a healthy perspective of heaven? I don't know that I know that, but... I don't think, I don't think it's like a, a monk would think of it, where you just get rid of the world or try to kind of push away from the world and live kind of a monastic life in a monastic type of a place. God bless them for doing that, but I don't think that's super practical for most of us to do that. That'd be a little bit awkward. So what's a healthy perspective of heaven? If Jesus is saying, hey, here's the thing to rejoice in, it's heaven, and John Corson would say, it's all about heaven. Well, I don't know for sure. I just have an idea. I just have an idea. And it's based on the fact that I wear contacts. Actually, I wear one contact in my left eye. Um, I, I, ha- I can't see. I can't read unless I wear this contact. It helps me read. I don't wear a contact in this eye, and it helps me see distance. And this eye, through the contact, it's monovision or whatever. It's pretty amazing how your brain figures out which eye to look through. It's kind of crazy, kind of neat. But um, the, the, the contact in my eye, when I look through it, 
brings clarity to what's in front of me. In a sense, it brings clarity. I think that's a healthy perspective of heaven. It's not abandoning this life, but it's seeing this life through the idea that I'm going to heaven. I'm going to go to heaven. And I don't know what just happened to them or to me, but I've been rescued. And this life may fall apart, but I see through that the contact of heaven, so to speak, and it brings clarity to this life. It does for me. So I do the best I can, personally, to make my life count. I'm living in this life. I'm not, I'm not thinking about, I'm not abandoning my life. I'm doing the best I can to live my life out well, to speak well, to live well. But if I remember, if I just keep the contact in, it brings this life into focus. I'm going to heaven. We're going to heaven. It's going to be awesome. Soon and very soon. It'll bring clarity to this life. It'll make this life make sense when you see through that. For me, it does anyway. Let's keep reading. 21. In that same hour, he, Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such, as your, such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal, to reveal him. Verse 23. Then, turning to the disciples, he said, Privately blessed, are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So, the big picture is this. It's that Jesus' relationship with the Father and the Spirit, Jesus' just, re- just relationship with the Father and the Spirit brought him maybe his greatest joy wasn't what his disciples were to him necessarily that brought him joy. It wasn't necessarily what they did. Now, to the disciples, doing things was amazing. I mean, they were so jazzed. They were so jazzed that they were able to heal and, and all the things that they did is awesome. But Jesus didn't rejoice in that. What Jesus rejoiced in, more than anything, was this relationship that he had with the Father and so it makes me think about the Holy Spirit. We've been talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit in the Ignorance series. The Holy Spirit is kind of a mystery to me. Um, it's easiest for me to think of Jesus because I can just read about him. And then he says, if you've seen me, you've what? Seen the Father. So I, I kind of get that. But the Spirit, hmm, challenging. But the Spirit brought him. It says Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. That first verse there. So, are we thankful for the gift of the Spirit? Am I thankful for the gift of the Spirit? Jesus said this in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your, listen to this verse. It is to your advantage that I go away. Isn't that an amazing statement that he made? For if I do not go away, the helper would not come to you. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's better that I go away and that you receive the Spirit and I continue in this ministry or this life or whatever he had in mind when he said that. So the Holy Spirit may seem mysterious, but he's so important. 
And to the best of our ability, I think we need to invest time, energy, prayer into understanding and appreciating more and more the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. You'll never, you'll never go wrong if you choose to do that. The other thing that caught my eye in this is the statement that he made in verse 21. When he describes his disciples, um, he says, uh, you know, Lord of heaven, that you have not hidden these things from the wise and their sin and reveal them to little children. <laughs> that's, what he, that's what he just called the 72 guys that went out to minister. He calls them little children. It's interesting. How do you, there's value and it's hard to understand and it's even harder to explain. How do you, how do you, how do you keep a little children type of an attitude? We're big people here. The little children are over there and we're the big people. We're, we've grown up, we've matured. We were taught by our parents. Hopefully you're taught by your parents. Hopefully your parents were raising adults and not kids. There's a difference. Too many parents raising kids and not adults these days. That's another whole topic. We'll go there another time. But you were raised, hopefully, by your parents to be self-sufficient, to be able to take care of your own life, to be separated from them, not needing them like you did as a child. That should have been the way we were all raised, and that's probably the way you've raised your kids, hopefully, to be self-sufficient. But that doesn't seem to always line up with Scripture. Lest you become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom of God. These successful disciples, these men, they were called little children. (laughs) You did a good job. You know why you did a good job? Because you were like little children when you went out there. Just like kids. My kids, when they were growing up, they're going out on a task. They had no money. They probably didn't have shoes on their feet. They probably didn't really know what they're going to do, but they're going to make something happen because they're kids. That's kind of what happened here. They were like little children when they went out. So how do we raise ourselves to be both mature, responsible, Yeah, maturing adults spiritually and then flip the coin over, heads and tails, and stay as little children. You can figure that out. You get with me later. I'd love to know that, but I guess there's one thing I I, I would throw at you because I think they're both true. We, We have to grow. We have to mature, but we have to grow young. Does that make sense? We have to do both. We have to grow young and we have to grow old well. Both are true. So I think it's an attitude more than anything else. As I've gotten older, probably the thing that sticks with me the most is that as an adult is I want to be self-sufficient. I pay my taxes. I need to do... And I bring that self-sufficiency right into my Christianity without even knowing it. I don't even think about it. Well, I can do that. I can do that. Well, I can do that. I don't even need to pray about that. I know how to do that. I've done that before. I've done that a lot of times before. I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. That's what adults would say. That's not what little children would do. Little children just, they just rely on the parent. And I don't think we pray very, like we could, like at least for myself, because I think, well, I can do that. I want to do that. I know how to do that. I've done that before. I have experience with that. And none of that needs God. None of that needs God. That's all big people talk. That's self-sufficiency talk. 
a little child would say, you know what? I could try that, and I have tried it before, maybe with some success, maybe not. But today's a whole new day, and it's a whole new situation, and a whole new person. And Jesus, forgive me for thinking for a moment that because I've done that before, or I'm a big person, or I'm a pastor, or I'm this, or I'm that, or I'm looked at like this, or looked at like that, that I can do that now. A child wouldn't do that. A child would go, I need you as much today as I ever have. That's what I want for my life. We need Jesus. Lest you become like children. He called them little children. They were very successful in ministry, but they were successful because they're little children. I think that's so important. The Bible says, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him. When we get older, we want to lean on our own understanding. It just comes with age. It's not so good spiritually. Let's jump into Luke, uh, 20, Luke 10, 25. One of the classic parables in the Bible, called, it's called the par- parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's read it. Okay. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to, a, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's almost like a courtroom scene. It's, it's the lawyer kind of cross-examining, Jesus cross-examining. Um, you really never want to do that, ideally, with Jesus. It just never works out well. But um, that's kind of how it unfolded. He may have been sincere. A lawyer's not... A lawyer in this culture was highly respected. Highly respected. They were, they, they were like priests and, and Levites. Priests were over, overseeing what happened in the temple. Levites would, <clears throat> priests oversaw it. Levites would kind of do the, the daily, there's a lot of daily business that had to happen in the temple. The Levites were kind of the worker bees of the temple. The priests oversaw it. The lawyers and scribes, sometimes that's used interchangeably, they were the teachers to the people. The priests and the Levites were busy doing the temple stuff, but the, but the lawyers understood the law. You've got to think of it a little different. Well, our lawyers should understand the law too, the government's law, but these lawyers understood the Mosaic law. 
and the Jewish traditions that had gotten connected to that. And they would teach the people, they would represent uh, truth to the people. So they're highly, highly favored, super admired. So uh, that's kind of the, the flavor of that whole thing. And when Jesus would say something like, the priest went by and the Levite went by the other side, they, those were his people. <laughs> those, that, that, those were his people. He would not like that. Jesus using a priest and a Levite as an example of what not to do. He would have been highly offended by that, no doubt. There's a quote from a Yale professor I found, and he said there's, that three classes of men represent three philosophies of life. The robbers in this, or the, yeah, the robber's philosophy is what you have is mine. The priest and the Levite's philosophy is what I have is mine. My time, whatever. The Samaritan's philosophy was what I have belongs to you. What I have belongs to you. And that was clearly seen. Now, to, to, to defend a little bit the priest and the Levite, it says in Numbers 19.11, it says, he who touches, in the law, he who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. So it's possible. It's possible that, remember, he was left for what? Half dead. That these guys saw him half dead, whatever that half dead looked like, and said he was dead enough for as far as they're concerned. Not going to touch that cat. I don't want to be unclean. I don't want to go through all that. It could have been that was what they were thinking about. I don't know. But the big question that we should know is, is this. How do you see the hurting? How do you see the hurting? Because I think there's two ways to see the hurting. You can see him as half dead, or you can see him as half alive. You can see him as half dead, or you can see him as half alive. What do the half dead hurting look like? Well, you tell yourself when you see them hurting the half dead, you start telling yourself things like this. You could tell yourself a thousand things. They're too out there for me to help. They're just too out there. They're so different from me. Uh, or they're too close-minded. Or they're too broken for me to help them or to invest in them. Or they're too wounded from their past. Or they're just so different from me. There's a thousand reasons that we call people half-dead. <laughs> and just give ourselves permission to walk by. Because we've all done it. I've done it. That's actually my tendency to do that. It is my tendency. Many of you are so much better at that. I will just give myself reasons why they're just too dead. There's just too many problems for me to invest in this moment. Or, and this is what I want to be, I want to be like the Samaritan. I want to see people half alive. Don't you? We need to see people half alive. That's, that's what love does. That's what love does. It sees people half alive. And it responds. So I, I think one of the reasons I became a pastor is that God said, Mark, you see people half dead all the time. You see that. So I need to teach you some things. So I get these opportunities often here where people come in and they're looking for some help. They're looking for some help. They're hurting. They're wounded. They're beat up. And I, I just sat down with a couple here 
couple days, yesterday, yesterday, yeah. They're, they're living, you guys know the Cascade re- recycling down here? Well, there's a bunch of trailers that are in the process of being recycled, just like trailers, they're all kind of jammed together. Well, they were living in one of those. And it got crushed a little bit. And it's going to be probably crushed a lot. I don't even know if it's not even their trailer. It's just a trailer there. And somehow the, the kind owner at Cascade said, hey, guys can sleep in this until we crush it. Well, they're starting that process. So they were here. And everything in my being, even today, I have to fight myself. Because I start off, my, my, my default is they're half dead. Not much I can do here. There's not much we can do. We could pay a power bill. There's no power bill. There's no power there, period. We might help you a little bit this way, a little bit that way, but in my brain, they're half dead. But God's spirit, praise God for his spirit, kind of spoke to me and and has done this over and over and he's teaching me to see people differently. And I just really invested some time in them. Their story's crazy, their story's absolutely crazy. And it's true, I think. It's just as crazy. You can't get a crazier story. You can't get more bad decisions. You just can't get more problems. You just, it's just unbelievable. But, but, but they left. They left. Actually, and we spent, you guys bought them a couple nights in the motel. Thank you very much. Um, and I don't, I, I didn't fix them. We just, we just took them to the inn for a couple nights. Where they, could, where they could sleep in regular beds and maybe jump in a swimming pool if they wanted and whatever, you know. But well, you, you did that. I just, I just did a little, a little part. You did the big part. Thank you. Keep doing that, by the way. <laughs> yes, keep doing that. But it was, when I was driving back, I took them up to the motel that we use, and I was driving back, and I, I just, it was just, just a sweet time with the Lord, you know. Because I was thinking about this verse, these verses, and how quickly I pronounce people half dead. And man, I wouldn't want to be living in their shoes. They are beat up, they are wounded, it's self-inflicted, not even robbers, it's self-inflicted most of it. But, but I think I gave them good advice. Somehow I think something good's going to come from this. I think, I pray, pray for them. But it's coming, it comes from seeing people half alive. And it's a change of heart. And God's doing that in me. That's, why, that's probably why he made me a pastor. He said, I'm never going to teach Mark Scudstead what he needs to know, so I'm going to make him a pastor. <laughs> and I'm just going to kind of do it that way. That's how it works. Yeah. And let's finish with Mary and Martha. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The big picture of this is that worship is often misunderstood 
and undervalued. Now, Martha is, is an amazing woman. She had her hands full because Jesus didn't come alone. Jesus, Jesus, he had people with him. So when, when Martha invited Jesus to her home for a dinner, he was, who knows how many hungry people were with him. And so she was doing a responsible thing. She was really serving the Lord by serving the Lord, ultimately, serving him food and his entourage. So she needed some help, and her best helper wasn't available. Her best helper was at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. And she's a little bit overwhelmed by that, and rightly so. And in some ways, I mean, I get it at least. I get where she would say, man, Mary, I really needed you. You really let me down. But yet Jesus said to Martha that Mary had chosen a good thing. So, so the question is, is the Lord after our service, what we can do for him, good things, good works, or is he after our heart? <laughs> is he after what we can do for him? Is that what he wants? Is that how he would grade us if God grades? Is that how he will judge us? I know God judges or is, he, or, 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 is he just, or is he really looking at my heart? I think the Bible's pretty clear on that, and I think you guys all know that. God looks at the, at the heart. God looks at That doesn't dismiss us from service, but God looks at the heart. And Mary seemed to have maybe more of a heart of worship. You know, Katie and I went out to a couple's house about, call it 16, 17 years ago, and they lived, had a beautiful home. It was a little bit older couple than us. And um, they had a, a really pretty home in the Applegate Valley, kind of out by Schmidt Vineyard. Gorgeous home. And so they invited us for dinner. And I had heard from other people who had gone to house, their, dinner, their, their house for dinner that if you ever get the invite to this house, you're going to like it. So finally, I think as I was a pastor at Applegate at that point, I got, you know, Hey, you guys want to come? I'm going to have you guys for dinner. I said, oh, I'm excited because I've heard. And it, it, it exceeded my expectations. Their house was prettier than I thought it was, and I knew it was pretty. Their, their, their yards were beautifully landscaped. Even beyond the landscape backyard, I was thinking there was a big field. It's like hay field or something. They'd even cut that for us, you know, like cut the hay or something. And then inside the house, it was nuts. Full on nuts. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. The table was prepped like, I don't even, I mean, how do you do this? Remember, you get like nervous, you know? What, will, will I do this right? Which way do you, there's all that stuff. I'm kind of thinking about that. They took us on a tour of the house, you know? There was one room that had so many pillows on the bed. I, honestly, I would be exhausted like Martha. I, I don't know, why do you put pillows? There's like 20 pillows on the bed. And I'm going... Who, guys don't do that. We don't do that. <laughs> Women do that. And then, I know my wife, she doesn't put 20 on, but she has a few, and they gotta be just right when they're put back. And I don't do them very right, so I'll do the pillows. So they're like 20 pillows. I mean, just like, it's, so all that to say, we had a nice meal. But you know what? It didn't last long. You know why? They were exhausted. Why? Because of much serving, much preparing for us. The evening should have really been, could have been a lot simpler. 
They probably had a lot more energy. I appreciate them. I'm amazed by them. But we didn't stay long. I could tell. They're bushed. Just getting the house ready. Just getting the meal right. Just getting the... I think Martha had a little of that in her. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. But missed the big picture. We really didn't go out to see their house, as cool as it was, or even have a great meal. We really wanted to be with them. We just wanted to get to know them. And we didn't get a chance to know them because they were too tired. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Deuteronomy 8.3, the last part of it says, man shall not live by what? By bread alone. Maybe Martha needed to remember that, but lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Mary knew that. So, it's important at times to lay aside all the distractions if you can. I don't know how you do that. I have a hard time doing it. I do. And just draw close to the Lord. It's a good thing. Life will consume you. The tyranny of the urgent, it will consume you. Life is a consumer. And you'll be busy doing not bad things. I know you guys. You'll be doing good things. But the best thing, and I hope this is where you're at tonight, the best thing is that you carve out time with Jesus and stay at his feet and draw close to him. Because the Bible says if we draw close to him, what happens? He draws close to us. That's what he wants. And somehow Mary knew that. So tonight, Jesus, I pray for us. I pray for myself that we would be a people that draw close to you. And Lord, at times that means putting aside good things, even serving you, Lord, at times can be a bit of a distraction. So may we, Lord, be people who invest in you. May we be people tonight, Lord, who spend time at your feet and just draw closer to you, Lord. Help us not get exhausted by life, <laughs> Lord, but help us to rest in you. So I love, Lord, uh, my brothers and sisters, Lord, I pray, Jesus, as we all head our way tonight, that you would fill us afresh with your spirit, that your spirit would continue to reveal Jesus to us as we go through the book of Luke, because it's an amazing book to look at, Lord. So thank you for giving us a peek into who you are, even tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. I bless you guys.